0: Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the 19th episode of the first season of Ghost Encounters podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok.
1: And I'm Jordan, the group scientist.
0: So, throughout these podcast episodes of the first season, we keep coming back to uh, demons and demonic possessions, exorcisms. We've touched on it a little bit. So, I thought it'd be great to have a whole episode about demonic possessions. And I know, Jordan, you don't believe in them. Yeah, I do. I was kind of on the fence about them a little bit. I mean, I don't believe in heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff, but I do believe in evil forces and entities. But after we've taken this really big deep dive into four of the most iconic cases of demonic possession and exorcisms, I can kind of say I don't really believe in people being demonically possessed.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of research out there. Um, I, there's a lot of scholarly journals. If you're ever cruising the web and you want to look up a <laughs> scholarly journal on this, there is like a lot with mental illness and other sort of neurological disorders that you can look up.
0: Yeah, there's, after reading about all these, the stories are crazy and they're very interesting and some of them are a little bit scary, Um, but there's always that underlying mental illness or other kind of illnesses and um, culture-based things because all these people that have been demonically possessed have been religious.
1: Like, I know that there's, like, stories about people flying up the walls and shit like that. Like, if that happened in front of me, (laughs) and it's not explainable, I'd probably sway my opinion
0: a little bit. But as we know, I mean, a lot of these stories are really old. Things can be changed. Um, Things can be exaggerated or said in a certain way in order to scare people. So just a few announcements before we get started. Uh, First... uh, I don't know if Eric is going to be back anytime soon, unfortunately. As we know, he's a real estate agent and the market is absolutely insane right now. He's just too busy to juggle all these different things that he has. He's, he runs like a couple of offices. So um, I don't know when he's gonna be back. But Eric, please, uh, when things slow down, we love you. Come back.
1: Yes, we love you and miss you. <laughs> uh,
0: unfortunately, Kayla cannot be here today. Her dog, Hank, unfortunately had to undergo emergency surgery on his knees, right?
1: Yeah, both knees. Well, they only did one, and then in 10 weeks he has to do the other one.
0: Yeah, so she is looking for people for help. Um, If you can donate any kind of spare change, uh, email ghostencounterspa at gmail.com, and I will send you the info. Yeah. But uh, let's get in uh, to these uh, top four cases that I found. Uh, The oldest one goes back to 1906. In South Africa, uh, the girl's name was Clara Germana Seely. One day in 1906, at St Michael's Mission School in Natal, South Africa, Father Erasmus Horner heard a troubling confession from one of the Catholic students who attended the school, Clara Germana Seely. She'd made a pact with the devil himself. It was one of the first modern possessions that a large group of people witnessed. Born in 1890 in South Africa, Clara was a devout Christian girl. Clara was orphaned by her parents as an infant and had attended the Catholic school since she was four years old. Baptized as a child, the only life she knew was that of St. Michael's mission. She was known by her peers and the nuns at the school as just an ordinary girl. But in August of 1906, the 16-year-old confessed to the school's father, Erasmus Horner, who she had known since she was four, that she had made a pact with the devil himself, Satan. Within the next few weeks, all hell broke loose. She began to act increasingly particular. She would grunt and bark like an animal, rip off her clothes, break apart her bed, and spoke to what appeared to be invisible entities. The nuns and the priests of the school became increasingly concerned and confused. At one point, Claire was said to shout out, "'Sister, please, call Father Erasmus, I must confess and tell everything, but quick, quick, or Satan will kill me. He has me in his power." From there, things only got worse. A few days later, she started to show more symptoms of a victim of possession. She would scream and curse as she was splashed with holy water, which appeared to burn her skin. That's surely a mind over matter problem, right? Perhaps. But could that explain how she was splashed with unblessed water, disguised as holy water, and her skin would not burn? Instead, she would laugh.
2: That's interesting. Later,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a weird thing, That right? is
1: weird. I wonder, I wonder why, logically, why that would happen. Like, not thinking about demonic possession. Right. Maybe that's a Google, Google-worthy question for me. That's a strange one. That's a strange one that, that is can't a strange be explained. One. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think throughout these stories, we're going to hear a few things that can't be explained. Perhaps they were dramatized. When they were written down, I mean, these stories are pretty old. Um, Perhaps things were translated wrong. Who knows? Yeah. Later, she stated, You have betrayed me. You have promised me days of glory, but now you treat me cruelly. Could this last statement be to the devil who promised Clara power and happiness, but received torture instead? In regards to the animalistic growls coming from Clara, one nun wrote, No animal had ever made such sounds. Neither the lions of East Africa, nor the angry bulls. At times it sounded like a veritable herd of wild beasts, orchestrated by Satan himself, who had formed a hellish choir. In another account written by Nun, Claire was able to speak languages of which she had no previous knowledge of. It went to say that she understood Polish, German, French, and other languages. How the hell does that happen?
1: So I knew that this was going to come up, so... um. I looked up how one can be like misinterpreted by knowing a language when they really don't know it. So it's called xenoglossia. It's um, supposedly a paranormal phenomenon which a person is able to speak, write, or understand an unlearned language that they've never acquired by natural means. That's the definition. Hmm. Um, there's no real specific evidence that it's an actual phenomenon. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's two types. One is... Um, response xenoglossy, which refers to the ability of um, a person to intelligently use an unlearned language as if it's already acquired with understanding. There's also another type, it's called um xenoglossy. It's the use of a language that you were never taught even though you don't understand it. There's stories um, of these abilities of people being able to read, write, and speak. Um, or understand a foreign language it appears in the Bible and other Christian religious literature of course yeah I found that there was like a lot of a lot of deep deep digging that you could do with that they have like where they thought that people that could do this stuff were like prophets of course and they were speaking the language of God himself gotcha so they kind of glorified it Um, so I think that when it got dark that's a good explanation as to why they think that Demons, demonic, you know. Right. Because here we
0: have, you know, um devout uh, Christian people, and here's this little girl yeah. supposedly speaking languages she's never learned before.
1: Yeah, so um there were claims of mediums being able to speak foreign languages, um, made by made up by like spiritualists and everything in the nineteenth mm-hmm. century, um, as well as Pentecostals. I think that's how you pronounce it, Pentecostals. In the twentieth century. Um, but these didn't hold up any scientific scrutiny. Right. Obviously. Nobody... So basically
0: it's just like this weird phenomena. Yeah. That has occurred and there's no real explanation for yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Um, there are some recent claims of xenoglossy that um, maybe it came from reincarnation. Um, researchers think that individuals were able to recall a language spoken in a past life that's interesting which i see now here we go i believe in reincarnation <laughs> so i think that that's a good way of thinking about this kind of shit happening um there was
0: that there was a story of that little boy i forget which country he was from but he was able to recite like the entire life of some fighter pilot from yeah World the War plane two. kid yeah, yeah 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 how he crazy. could get
1: in he sat in the plane and he could literally tell you how to work the plane as a, like a kid yeah it's crazy yeah that's that's insane. Another most recent case of recetative xenoglossy can be interpreted as instances of cryptomnesia. Um, that is where memories of a language acquired earlier in your life re-enter the consciousness, and it can like ex- like you can experience it in ex- like these crazy situations. I mean, that kind of
0: makes sense. You know, I mean, the capabilities of the human mind is unfathomable to us. Yeah, you know the the capabilities of what we're able to do we, we, we can see like what tr- three trillion colors you know yeah. like yeah. we can react in less our brain sends signals in less and, than a
1: tenth of a second and we only use a certain percentage of our brain like exactly we don't use our entire brain at the same time like that's like that that movie that came out where he took the pill and his brain was right. like yeah like you know like we only use a certain percent so yeah. imagine so
0: if- i mean if, if someone has any kind of psychological or mental problems, who knows, it could trigger certain parts of the mind. And yes. all of a sudden here you recall someone when you were a child speaking French to you and you were reciting the words.
1: Yeah, I do have some stuff that I looked up. So when the time comes, I can <laughs> blow that up too. Um, um, so I also found another phenomenon called speaking in tongues, which is called glossolalia. This practice is in when people utter words and speech-like sounds often used by believers to be languages known to the speaker. That's the professional definition. That is not my words. <laughs> so uh,
0: is it like, you know, people are speaking gibberish and they think it's some kind of ancient language? Or is it more of like they're sputtering out words that the listener thinks could be I think Spanish, like, but it's really not? Yeah,
1: I think it's both of those, like, mixed okay. together. Like, I think that people are saying stuff and they're using certain, like vowels or, like, the way that our voices go to make it seem like we're saying words. If right, makes and sense. the listener
0: doesn't know the language, so yeah. they're just thinking that, oh my god, that's definitely yeah. uh, Latin, you know. Like,
1: or when they explain it, they kind of are like, oh, it sounds like they were speaking French, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, so, um, glossolalia is classified as a non-neurogenic language disorder. So most people that exhibit this do not have a neuro... Psychiatric disorder.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah, which I, I thought that that when I found that I was like Well, I would have thought that somebody had some sort of mental right. issue to sit there and just start sputtering out whatever But apparently it's not um, There is actually um, studies done that they use neuroimaging of brain activity during these fits um, and Found that it does not show like activity in the language area of the brains which I thought was super, super cool. Wow. Um, so in other words, it can be characterized by a specific brain activity, and it can be a learned behavior.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: So while I was doing research, I found a study done by the American Journal of Human Biology, and they found that speaking in tongues was associated with both a reduction in circulatory cortisol, which is a steroid hormone,
0: Okay.
1: Um, and enhancements in alpha amylase enzyme activity, um, these are two biomarkers of stress reduction that can be measured in your saliva.
0: Stress reduction. Yes.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So relating to the last two phenomenons, there's a lot of criticism that surrounds them. Obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> so speakers are capable of speaking in tongues on cue, which is contrary to the claim that it's uh, like spontaneous event okay. that can just happen randomly. Okay. Um, there's a lot, a lot of analysis um, that you can look up that's been done on this kind of stuff. Um, it reveals pseudo language that lacks like consistent syntax, um, meanings, rhythmic or poetic um, nature. It kind of seems like it's similar to whoever it's happening to's tongue, like whatever they are used to speaking. Right. You can't. Some people can't compare or translate some of these events that happen. So they just think that it's just random shit that someone's said right? Because in
0: a lot of these, like, no one ever—I I can't find things where someone translated what someone said in another language. I don't. They have, just they,
1: say that it. it they just happened. said that They spoke it. Yeah, like like I read up on something where this guy said that, um, it was like a psychiatrist that was diagnosing somebody with mental illness versus diagnosing them or sending them to go get help with demonic possession which the article was really cool and he said that in this one big quote all this shit was happening and then he all of a sudden goes and he how how the hell could he possibly have spoken fluent latin do you know fluent latin mr cyk like look like, you know what i mean no. like it's just like you know what a dead language you said. Yeah, there's only a select say... few
0: people on earth who still can speak fluent latin
1: yeah yeah i was just like i was just like why didn't you have somebody recording to put that quote in of what the person was saying right. so then somebody that actually knows like the Latin language
0: could translate, could translate
1: it? Because there are people that know it like, yes. fluently. So There's not many, yeah.
0: but they're out there, yeah. and you can get it translated.
1: And then my last like criticism about this, these two phenomena is that it's also not used to communicate between fellow um, speakers, like the, t- the people that are suffering from these issues, or dealing with these issues so it's kind of a them thing by themselves it's not really like you and I can talk to each other in our little tongue and say blah 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 right yeah which I was like hmm even me I'm like hmm so these tongue
0: tuckers aren't talking to each other
1: (laughs) yeah I was like (laughs) well like you so you you have your own little language or whatever you're doing during these fits and you, you can't, like, you don't want to communicate with somebody else that suffers from it. You know what I mean? Like, so, right. like, my mind digs even deeper than these definitions I'm reading about.
0: Right. Well, that was an awesome deep dive into this because I always wondered, like, because you always read stories, oh, this person is speaking fluent Latin, Spanish, French, whatever. Yeah, I and know. It's like, how does that happen? But it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. That it's either coming from a deep memory in your brain or it's just nonsense and people just think that it's those languages.
1: Yeah, when you brought it up and you said, like, how do you explain this? I'm like huh, I never thought about it. Let me look into it. (laughs) And that's what I found. So they have some sort of...
0: Explanation. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Uh, So back to Clara. Um, So she's speaking in these tongues. She's speaking apparently fluent uh, um, Polish, German, French, and some other languages. Uh, But she was also to prove her clairvoyant state by telling secrets of people... ...of whom she had no connection with before. She knew their most intimate secrets. That comes up uh, sometimes. Um, Clara uh, was said to be able to levitate five feet above the ground, horizontally and vertically, um, but would come down if sprinkled with holy water. Father Horner and another priest, Reverend Mancetti, uh, were cleared by the church to perform an exorcism on Clara. On September 11, 1906, the exorcism was performed lasting from early morning until the late hours of the night. During the exorcism, Clara's violent behaviors intensified, and she even tried to strangle one of the priests with his own Bible. Oh, jeez. Yeah. The next morning, the rites were given again, with the possessing demon departing Clara's body after telling the priest that he would uh, signify his exit with an act of levitation. Clara rose five feet into the air, uh, as she did before, Uh, This levitation occurred in front of an audience of around 170 people in the chapel. The priest then said that Clara had been cleared of the devil's influence. She recovered from her exorcism and was incredibly embarrassed about her her behavior and what had happened. Um, Rather than hide away into a room and lock herself away, um, you know, and hope that everyone would just forget her insanity, she asked for forgiveness and dedicated the rest of her life to humble pursuits. So,
1: see now if I saw somebody floating around near me, I'd be a little scared. Then, I'm,
0: then yeah, <laughs> right. I'll change. I'll change my mind. But yeah,
1: <clears throat>
0: as you and I both know, the church kind of wants you to be scared of the devil. Yeah. So, in my mind, this kind of sounds like the church elaborating and not necessarily lying, but adding. Some things into the story in yeah. order to make people scared of the devil and believe the...
1: more in God, right? Yeah, I have something. Um, I was looking up, there was this really, really cool. Um, I don't know if it was like a biography, I don't know what I want to call it, but it talked about like religious coping with mm-hmm. demonic possession and that, like, gotcha. you don't want to think being super religious and you know, God's always helping me, whatever. Um, that. These mental illnesses could happen to you, mm-hmm. so instead you blame the devil for it. Right. Yeah.
0: And I just wanna say, um, before we go into more, we're not discriminating against religious people by all means. Oh no Practice, way. Practice, do what you want. These are just our own opinions. Um and if anyone does have any kind of mental health issues, please seek help and take medication and consult your doctors. The next case is of Roland Doe. Now Roland Doe is actually an alias given in order to protect the boy's identity. Now we all know the movie The Exorcist*, which is a classic 1973 horror film directed by William Fredkin, the film which tells the story of a young girl who was possessed by a demonic force, and it was one of the highest grossing horror films of all time. Critics praised it, won awards. And at the time, it was considered one of the most terrifying film experiences.
1: And it still scares the shit out of Jeffrey to this day. My fiance. He he (laughs) hates that movie. He gets scared watching The Sixth Sense and all that stuff. He just, like, the whole thought, like, scares the shit out of him. When I told him that I didn't really believe in this the other night, he's like, what the hell do you mean you don't believe in it? Have you never watched The Exorcist?
0: (laughs) But at the time, it was so terrifying that people were actually, like, throwing up and leaving the movie theater. All kinds of stuff. But many people don't realize that the popular horror film was actually inspired by a true story. So in 1971, there was a book written by uh, William Peter Bladley, which is of the same name, The Exorcist. It was one of the best-selling novels, and it was based on the diaries of the two priests who helped in this case. Um, The book actually stayed a bestseller for 54 weeks, and in 1973, the movie was based on it. But the movie features a little girl but the real story in the book is actually about the little boy who was possessed.
1: Why do they keep switching that?
0: I don't know, maybe a little girl possession is scarier for a movie? Um, But basically the story is this. In the late 1940s, in Cottage City, Maryland, a 13-year-old boy, commonly known, as I said, Roland Doe, was mourning the death of his aunt. Uh, The aunt had taught him about spiritualism, including how to use a Ouija board. Now, Roland was very upset about the loss of his aunt, he loved her, and he attempted to use the Ouija board to talk to his beloved dead aunt. Roland's family notes that strange things started happening in their house after this. In January 1949, the family reported hearing strange dripping noises and scratching sounds in the house. At first, Roland's mother believed the noises were connected to the dead aunt. So the family started trying to reach out to the spirits they believed to be in his house, hoping they could reason with them and ask to be left alone. However, this only made things worse. Roland claimed he could hear someone walking in his room at night when he was trying to sleep, and there were scratch marks found on his mattress in the morning. Eventually, scratch marks began also appearing on his body. Not knowing what else they could do, the family called the local minister who observed the boy overnight at the church. The family converted to Catholicism and tried to have Roland baptized, but the young boy responded to their baptism attempts with rage. At one point, Roland was admitted to the hospital where a psychiatrist attempted to treat him, um, but was ultimately unsuccessful. So this is the first time now we have a psychiatrist involved and was unsuccessful. Uh, Father E. Albert Hughes, the local Catholic priest, asked his superiors permission to perform an exorcism on the boy in late February of 1949. The church granted Hughes' request. For the exorcism, Hughes strapped the boy to the mattress and began his recitations. But he had to stop the rite when Roland broke off a piece of the mattress spring and slashed the priest across the shoulders, leaving the exorcism unfinished. Oh, wow. A few days later, red scratches appeared on the boy. One of the scratches formed the word Louis, which indicated to Roland's mother that the family needed to go to St. Louis. Now, how the. Well, here's why. So the family has a connection to St. Louis. Okay. Um, They have family out
1: there. Yeah, tell me because I'm just like.
0: They have family out there. A cousin. What if that's
1: the demon's dead cat?
0: Or what if that's the demon's name?
1: Yeah, exactly. They're just like, oh, we gotta go to St. Louis.
0: Right. It was a very weird connection with this, which makes me think that either. The family was stretching this, or the priests were, or they are both. I don't know. Um, But a cousin of the family was attending St. Louis University at the time. She put the family in touch with Father Walter H. Uh, Halloran and Reverend William Bowdern. These two agreed to perform the exorcism on the young boy with the help of several of their assistants. The men gathered at their new residence on Roanoke Drive in early March of 1949. There, the exorcists witnessed scratching on the boy's body, and the mattress moving violently. These are the same types of things that were happening in Maryland when they performed the first exorcism that failed. Amid these bizarre happenings, uh, Bowdern and Hollerin, according to the reports, noticed a pattern on the boy's behavior. He was calm and normal during the day, but at night, after settling in for bed, he would exhibit strange behavior, including screaming and wild outbursts. Roland would also enter a trance-like state and start making sounds in a guttural voice. The priest also said they saw objects fly around and noticed that he would act violently when he saw any sacred object. So going back to the boy being in a trance-like state and making guttural voices, it kind of sounds like what happens when someone has a seizure.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, something called absent seizures. Um, They're a type of epilepsy not every person that has seizures has epilepsy, but in this case, it's a type of it, um, and it's usually um, diagnosed after like one or two seizures. They'll know if it's epilepsy or a different type of seizure. Mm. Um, an absent seizure is a term for a type of seizure involving staring spells, which is what my fiance tells me I do all the time, <laughs> which is probably why my mom thought I had these before I got told I have auditory processing. Um, this type of seizure is brief. It um, lasts probably like 15 seconds. Um, it's a disturbance in the brain because of abnormal um, electrical activity. These messages um, confuse your brain and cause the seizure. Absent seizures can occur along with other types of seizures, which I thought to be super scary. Oh God, because you you're having, having those seizures yeah, you're having seizure. something else. Yeah, um, you know it can cause like your typical seizure: muscle jerking, twitching, shaking. Um, Absent seizures may be confused with other types of seizures. That's why doctors have to pay really close attention your symptoms and your actions, other things that are happening, Mm -hmm. um, to make the right diagnosis. It's very important to see a doctor for any sort of seizure, just so they can make sure that you have a safe treatment for the seizure. These types of seizures, absence seizures, are common in children. Oh, here we go, child. Yeah, they don't cause long-term problems. It's kind of something, it's a phase, you know, like it's something that people can go through and they get treated for. Um, right,
0: and it can kind of, so as they get older, it can kind of Yeah,
1: wear go wear away. off, yeah. Which
0: is going to make a lot of sense as I get further into the story.
1: Ooh, fun. Because I have no idea anything about this, this <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, these types of seizures are often set off by a period of hyperventilation, which I thought was weird. Well, here we have a little
0: boy being strapped down. Yeah, and... probably having
1: like a panic attack or something. Right. Hyperventilating. So and then there
0: we go. He's, all of a sudden, he starts just like... St- being in a trance-like state staring off into the distance and just yeah. having these sounds come out of him because he's going through a freaking seizure yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah it's it's crazy this whole thing this correlation um they usually occur in children between the ages of 4 to 14. i'm not sure how old this person he
0: is at this time he was 13 years old
1: oh okay so he's almost at the end of <laughs> the typical <laughs> the age um what I, when I was reading, I found this to be really scary, especially if I were a parent. Um, a child can have up to 10, 50, or even 100 absence seizures a day. Oh my God. Um, even if they, they could go unnoticed and all that stuff. Because it's only 15 seconds. Like your kid right. could be sitting there not listening to you and you're just like, damn you kid, listen to me when I talk. But really like something serious could be happening. Right. Um, it's uncommon for absence seizures to continue into adulthood but it's possible to have any sort of absent seizure, you know
0: right It's possible it's yeah kind of a, it's very
1: unlikely. Yeah. some symptoms of um, absent seizures can be obviously being very still, sitting very still, um, smacking the lips or making chewing motion with the mouth. okay. Um, fluttering your eyelids and stopping all activity like not talking, not moving, it's even frozen. though even though you could be having literally a conversation, with somebody and then just stop. And then after the so and so many seconds pass, try to continue your conversation with the person even though they're scared shitless.
0: You know, I saw this video <laughs> on TikTok where this guy was like out to eat with a friend and he called it a glitch in the matrix, but like she's talking and all of a sudden.
1: I saw that! She freezes.
0: Like she's been paused, but everything else is still going and then she just continues the conversation. Yeah, like so I, I wonder, wonder maybe that if that was, that was like...
1: one. Even though she's not in the age group, it says that it could happen at any age. Right. You know? It's rare, but it could happen. When absence seizures are taking place, they usually don't cause a person to fall down. Because usually when I think of like a seizure, I automatically think somebody's like tensing up and falling and just shaking, shaking violently. Up. Right, right. Yeah, so in this case, these that's, are different. Yeah, that's not the case in this kind of seizure. You could be in the middle of making dinner, walking across the room, or typing an email, and you have a seizure, and then suddenly snap out of it. and well Continue on with your life. <laughs> like you didn't know you just had a seizure. Like that scares me. Yeah, that's crazy. Like you could be alone and this stuff could be happening to you. And, and you, you don't, don't even know it. know it. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically what I have for that. But it makes sense. It correlates with them. Like it, it's, it really what a does. Kid's involved. It's, it
0: sounds kind of exactly what's going on here. Um, but things start to get... Now here's when things start to get um, either far-fetched or a little bit crazier. Uh, at one point during this week's-long ordeal... Bowden reported to see an X in scratches on Roland's chest, which the priest believed to signify the number ten. So he thought that he had ten demons inside of him. But if this little boy's having seizures, he could be he's rolling around, I mean he could scratch his own chest and whatever else.
1: It's not Um, hard to make an X. Right. But
0: (laughs) another incident, a pitchfork shaped pattern of red lines moved from the boy's thigh and snaked down towards his ankle. Hmm. Yeah, These types of things happened almost every night for more than a month. Oh, wow. The two priests never gave up, though, and they continued their exorcism night after night. Uh, on one evening of March 20, the exorcism reached an unhealthy new level. Roland urinated all over his bed and began shouting and cursing at the priests. Now Roland's parents had enough. They took him to uh, Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. I
1: was just going to say, like, don't you realize that, like, you went and saw one one professional. Yeah. And now you're just relying on people. And they're,
0: they're doing this to this boy night after yeah, night. Yeah, like, night.
1: I, as a parent, would probably want to take my kid to the hospital or, you know, because, like, if you think about it. If you're in a blinding like rage and you're upset about something, what if something inside of you is going wrong and you right. aren't acting rationally, like per se, not saying that this could be a case, just saying what I experienced in my life before when I had a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. I was in so much freaking pain that I literally could would lash out at anybody. Oh, Get yeah. me the fuck to the hospital. I need somebody to pump me with some morphine, yeah. something. So like, what if something serious like that was happening and then... These gullible parents are just like, take him to the church, you right. know, like that's where my mind goes when I listen to these things. I'm just like, are we really did we really do enough in that situation? Right. You know?
0: Or what if he's having other seizures with these absences?
1: Yeah. And he's lashing out filling. because <laughs> of the seizure.
0: Hey, right. Finally, on April eighteenth, a miracle occurred in his room at Alexian Brothers. It was the Monday after Easter, and he awoke with seizures. Oh, look at that. He has, oh, he has, wow. he he's at a hospital, and they're saying that he's having seizures. Uh, he yelled at the priest, saying that Satan would always be with him. The priest laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals, rosaries, and all kinds of stuff around the boy. At 10.45 p.m. that evening, the attending priest called on St. Michael to expel Satan from the boy's body. They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for his soul. Seven minutes later, he came out of his trance, and the boy said, he's gone. The boy recounted how he had a vision of St. Michael vanquishing Satan on a great battlefield. According to Bowdern and Halloran, the strange occurrences and behavior ceased after that, and the boy went on to live a normal life. Now here's a pretty cool story, since we're on a podcast. Um, no one ever knew this boy's real name. Yeah. It was always hidden by this alias Roland Doe. But a podcaster actually found out this boy's real name and found out who he was. Roland Doe has been identified as Ronald Edwin Hunkler. The news was brought to surface by an investigator and podcast host, J.D. Sward, who wrote the confirmed Hunkler's identity last month when he started researching a story on The Exorcist for his podcast, The Devil in the Details. Apparently, Hunkler grew up to become a NASA engineer who Shit. patented a special technology to make space shuttle panels resistant to extreme heat, helping the Apollo missions of the nineteen sixties, which would lead to astronauts being able to walk on the moon in nineteen sixty-nine?
1: Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Has this person come out and said like, yeah, that was me?
0: Unfortunately, he has passed. Oh. Yeah, he passed away.
1: Maybe he doesn't really remember much of it, so that's why he wanted to remain. Anonymous. I mean, how much?
0: I mean, how much do you remember when you were thirteen? I mean, something like that you would probably remember for the rest of your life. But, like you said, those seizures usually don't happen.
1: Yeah, know, seizures after 14. After
0: 14, then he went on to live a normal life, but also he was finally taken to a hospital, and they said, hey, he's having seizures, maybe he got medication.
1: The only thing that is throwing me off about this is it's NASA, and they do a lot of work to make sure you are completely sane and you are completely normal when you work for them. <laughs> like, you can't do flight. You can't do anything for NASA. Well, maybe MS. that's why this
0: alias came about. Yeah. You like, know, the only record they would have was when the boy was sent to the hospital. You know, the last exorcism yeah. was done at the hospital, but it was a, um, you know,
1: interesting. That's yeah. cool. Well, good for him. Right, you survived demons and devils and whatever, and you he
0: came to work for NASA, and that's yeah, why we we're able to. You're smarty pants. Yeah, that's so that's cool. Awesome.
1: That is so cool.
0: So on that letter note, uh, before we get into some more grueling details about some other exorcisms, I'm gonna go drink some holy water, and we'll be right back. Ghost Encounters podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your online presence with their digital marketing experts, professional photography, and video productions. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. And we are back. Uh, The next story we're going to talk about, um, there was a movie made recently about this. Obviously, the name has changed. um, But this one is about Annalise Michael. Uh, It's the woman who inspired the horror film that became famous for her tragic fight with demons and her terrifying death. Though many may not know, uh, the horrifying events of the 2005 film The Exorcism of Emily Rose were not entirely fictional, um, but rather were based on the actual experiences of a German girl named... Annelise Michael.
1: I didn't know that they were correlated. I saw that. Well, I saw some of that movie. I had to turn it off. Yeah, on I, remember, it I remember. I remember seeing that when out. it came
0: out, and it was well, scary you, when it came out. If I, you think
1: about it. Two thousand and five. I was in elementary school, <laughs> going into middle school. So no wonder I shit my pants watching right? this movie. <laughs> so scary.
0: <laughs> I actually think I went to this movie with my grandmother oh. because her and I both love Halloween and oh all that stuff. Oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah. Um, Annalise Michael grew up uh, devoutly Catholic in Bavaria, West Germany in the 1960s, where she attended mass twice a week. When Annalise was 16, she suddenly blacked out at school and began walking around dazed. Though Annalise did not remember the event, her friends and family said she was in a trance-like state. Boom. Here we have... Again, that's a seizure. Yeah. You you don't remember it. You're in a trance-like state. You're just walking around dazed.
1: And we talked about how they don't typically fall when right. they go into these types of seizures.
0: A year later, Annalise Michael experienced a similar occurrence where she woke up in a trance and wet her bed. Uh, her body also went through a series of convulsions, causing her body to shake uncontrollably. So here we have the one type of seizure that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. What was it again?
1: An absent seizure.
0: An absent seizure, because she's kind of walking around, dazed, zombie-like, yeah. not knowing what's going on. And then you said they can be accompanied by other seizures. So here we have her having some kind of other seizure where her body shook and she lost control of her bladder and she woke up from this thing and she was, shaking, she was shaking uncontrollably and her body was exhausted. Yeah. But what happened next was even more disturbing. After the second time, Annalise visited a neurologist who diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy,
1: oh. a
0: disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, um, experiencing visual and auditory hallucinations. Jordan, what can you tell us about temporal lobe epilepsy? So
1: we discussed it in our last podcast, um, but relating with this case, it can be correlated with Geschwind syndrome. Um, It's a group of behavioral phenomena evident in only people that have temporal lobe epilepsy. So there's a bunch of controversy surrounding this specific disorder um, and whether it's um, like a neuropsychiatric disorder or not, but it has five primary like changes and things that happen during it. Um, There's something that could happen called hypographia, which is the tendency to um, extensively and compulsively like write and draw crazy. (laughs) Um, This has been also observed in people with temporal lobe epilepsy before this phenomenon was discovered. In certain cases, these um, writings can demonstrate extreme interest in religious topics. Makes sense. Yeah, like when I was researching, because we talked about Claudia, well, I talked about Claudia Mihangos in the last podcast, and she was also really religious, as we remembered. Right. And then now you're talking about this girl, woman, um, who is uh, very religious as well. So I think when I saw that, I was kind of like, There's "Hmm, that connection. Yeah, there's that religious component there. Um, A next symptom is characterized by increased, usually intense, religious feelings and um, philosophical interests. It has been claimed that many religious leaders may exhibit this form of epilepsy.
0: This makes sense because she's diagnosed with epilepsy. But when it happens again, she is going to be 100% convinced that it's religious, that it's demons.
1: Yeah, another um, key characteristic is um, atypical sexuality. People with um, Geshwin syndrome reported higher rates of atypical or altered sexuality. And um, in approximately half of the affected individuals, hyposexuality is reported. Less commonly, cases of hypersexuality have been reported. Another characteristic is circumstantiality. Individuals who demonstrate um, viscosity tend to continue conversations for a long time and talk repetitively.
0: So this is going to come up again, too. Really? Because she apparently has a bunch of different demons inside of her and they're all going to talk to each other. Oh. And she just continues these conversations.
1: Okay, cool. Um, And lastly, it has um, intensified mental life. So individuals may demonstrate an intensified mental life, including um, deepened cognitive and emotional responses. Um, This tendency may pair with um, the excessive writing and stuff that I talked about leading Mm -hmm. to... Um, prolific creative output interesting yeah it's cool because like they have these they have these five primary changes and then they kind of all relate to one another from how they found Can out the about last the syndrome.
0: one um what was the last one called again
1: intensified mental life so, so like, could mental that stability.
0: right but could that be correlated with like hyper creativity yeah
1: yeah that's the, when i was like looking and like because reading about it that's what i was. assume she's going
0: to like have these demons talk to each other, and one of them I was a little surprised with that was a demon inside of her. And we'll go into it later, but this kind of sounds like a very creative, made up story that she's allowed, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Like, this experience,
1: like story time, like you know, like right. your your create, your creative output is like superb, apparently, when you have this kind of syndrome. Crazy, yeah.
0: So, that's temporal lobe epilepsy, which she has. Um, so after her diagnosis. Annalise began taking medication for her epilepsy and enrolled in the University of Würzburg in 1973. So she apparently was okay taking the medication and was going to college. Oh, cool. Um, Now, I know someone, we both know someone, who has uh, epilepsy and suffers from seizures. Um, Your fiance's dad and uh, my friend CJ, um, he suffers from epilepsy and seizures. And um, I actually interviewed him the other oh, day. Cool. I'm gonna I'm going to put that in and have you listen to it. I'm going put to that, put that in at the end so we can get his input on, you know, what he feels and sees and hears and everything during a seizure. Um, but he went through an eight year long period with no seizures and all of a sudden started having seizures again. And so they had to do some tests and change his medication. So what's going to happen now to Annalise kind of sounds similar. She's okay. However, the drug she was given failed and
1: it's probably some sort after of-
0: some time her progression that she was having getting better yeah. deteriorated and though she was still taking medication she started having seizures that's again that's why
1: they always recommend you to go back yearly for your doctor's visits exactly. because anything could happen in that year so
0: because the medication was not working she was convinced like absolutely convinced that she was possessed by a demon and she needed to find a solution outside of medicine so here we have some of these uh-huh. other conditions She's, coming yeah. into play from the temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, she began to see the face of the devil wherever she went and said that uh, she heard demons whispering in her ears. Um,
1: well, that's a symptom of temporal lobe epilepsy, seeing and hallucinating and, and things hearing like that. Yeah.
0: Um, when she heard demons telling her she was damned and the world would rot in hell um, while she was praying, she concluded that it must be the devil possessing her. Uh, Annalise sought out a uh, priest to help her with her demonic possession but all the clergy she approached rejected her request saying that she should seek medical help and they needed permission from the bishop anyway
1: it's probably a good thing that they did that but I mean if you're this but hellbent still, on thinking yeah she was yeah, bent on it it's almost sad no
0: pun intended she was bent on it
1: <laughs> yeah it's um, so sad for her
0: because at this point her delusions and hallucinations became extreme
1: yeah which never leads to great outputs. So
0: no, and believing she was possessed, she ripped off the clothes on her body, um, compulsively uh, performed up to four hundred squats a day, crawled under a table and barked like a dog for two whole days. What
1: the she hell? She
0: also ate spiders and coal, bit off the head of a dead bird, and licked her own urine from the floor.
1: That is crazy. That's right? sad. That this... it,
0: it's it's it went from like. Not too, too bad to just one whole extreme. Yeah,
1: this is like, wow, she seemed all right and now it's just like, damn, yeah. this is serious. Scary. <laughs> Finest,
0: finally, she and her mother found a priest, uh, Ernest Alt, who believed in her possession. He stated that she didn't look like an epileptic. That was his That was his state. Nobody. He's a priest, not a doctor, and you're not going to no one just looks, no one like, an looks epileptic.
1: like
0: an epileptic. But that was his words, and he's even going to say that in in court doc later court documents. Oh she my. didn't look like an epileptic.
1: It's not like it has a visual. If right. everybody had, if like, are you purple when you have freaking schizophrenia? Are you blue when you have freaking mental like this other stuff going right, on? Right, but like, he's also a priest. If know. she's having
0: a seizure, he, of course, he's going to think it's you know the devil and not yeah. a seizure. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's biased. Yeah.
0: So. Alt petitioned the local bishop, Bishop Joseph uh, Stengel, who eventually approved the request and granted a local priest, Arnold Rentz, uh, permission to perform the exorcism, um, but ordered that it be carried out in total secrecy. Why? Interesting.
1: Why? Oh, no. I didn't know that.
0: Over the next 10 months following the bishop's approval of Annalise's exorcism, oh, oh Alt and Rents conducted 67 Exorcisms lasting up to four hours at a time on the young woman. Through these sessions, both priests said that the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Belial, Legion, Nero, a few others, and Hitler. Hitler? So this is where this creativity is coming to play. Wow. She's, apparently Hitler came through as one of the demons possessing her body.
1: Wow, wow. That's crazy.
0: And, of course, she was in Germany at the time.
1: Oh, geez, I didn't even correlate. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, wow, wow.
0: Uh, All of these demons would jostle for power in Annalise's body and would communicate um, from her mouth with a low growl. Reading, I hate to say it was funny, but these demons would converse with each other and yell at each other. And the one that I found... I shouldn't find it funny, but I found it funny. Like, Hitler would come out and say something, oh, and another one of these demons would be, would be like, shut the hell up, Hitler. You have no say in hell.
1: Oh! <laughs> well, good for those demons. <laughs> poor poor for the lady, but... Yeah. You know, but that's, like, a thing. Like, mentally, like, that makes me think more mental than... Yeah. Than, like, believing in demonic possession, because it's you're talking about Hitler, where she lived in that mm-hmm. era.
0: Yeah, and... To speak to some of these things that we were talking about, throughout these sessions, Annalise would frequently talk about dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. And evidently she broke the bones and ripped the tendons in her knees from continually kneeling in prayer. Over these 10 months, Annalise was frequently restrained so the priests could conduct exorcism rites. She slowly stopped eating and she eventually died of malnutrition and dehydration on July 1st, 1976. She was just 23 years old.
1: Oh my gosh, she was young.
0: She was very young. That's in so sad. the interview with CJ that you'll hear in a little bit, he said that when he goes through a seizure, just one seizure, because his, all of his muscles in his body tense up, I mean these seizures don't last long, a few minutes. Yeah. Um, he said it feels like he ran a marathon and he could sleep for like two days. Yeah. So if this woman is being restrained and is having seizures not on almost every medicine. almost every day, she's gonna be exhausted.
1: Yeah, because she doesn't have the proper medication for like, what her previous No wonder she's was. not
0: getting up and moving around, no wonder she's yeah. not eating, so no wonder she's died pre- of all this.
1: It I hate to say it, it makes sense. Like I don't wanna seem insensitive towards people that are super religious and stuff like that and have beliefs in demonic possession, but it just with Previous diagnoses and everything like that, I just feel like you need to take that stuff seriously. Like, yeah. she could have been saved if she would have just... If she would have
0: went back to the doctor yes. and maybe they would have changed the medication her around or, or increased the, the dosage, she yeah. probably would have been fine.
1: So sad. It's just very yeah. tragic.
0: If you see the pictures of her of before and after, it's like night and day. It's Aww. terrifying. It's awful. That's sad. Yeah. Um, after her death, Annalise's story became a national sensation in Germany um, after her parents and the two priests who conducted the exorcism were charged with neglect and homicide.
1: Oh, well, I'm happy her parents were included in that, too.
0: Yeah. They came before the court and even used recording of the exorcism to try and justify their actions.
1: Yeah, I get that. I the supply. two, Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to <laughs> prove your case.
0: The two priests were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and uh, were sentenced to just six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years of probation. That's all they got.
1: I wish I could say I was surprised, but.
0: I'm not surprised. It's
1: just, it's how it clergy is. Clergymen men
0: always get less yeah. time. Yeah.
1: Because they think they believe that they're doing the right thing, and they.
0: Right, now I did find this that. interesting. Okay. The parents were exempt from any punishment as they uh, had, in quotes, suffered enough.
1: That's bullshit. Apparently,
0: that was criteria for sentencing in German law back then.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, that's bullshit.
0: I mean, I, I, it, they did. The parents did go through a lot, seeing their daughter go through this, and their daughter died. But Absolutely, it was their fault.
1: But you should for have
0: not seeking medical treatment. Yes,
1: you know that your kid has been diagnosed with. Certain forms of epilepsy and all this other stuff, and you didn't even try to get her back. Like right. she's 23 years old; like she's when a she's, kid. When
0: she started looking the way she did, you should have taken her to her hospital. Something. You
1: should have stopped the exorcism stuff.
0: Right, like they did with and, um, yeah, Roland Doe.
1: Yeah, and take her to the hospital. Then at least she'd be able to get an IV to right, help with get dehydration. Some and yeah. yeah,
0: water, everything else.
1: They would be able to sedate, incubate, tube do whatever they needed to do to make sure that she got better and instead they continued on with 67, you said?
0: 67 exorcisms.
1: That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) That's
0: ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that is probably the most tragic. That's um, horrible. Exorcism cases that's been out there. This last story that we're going to talk about um, came about in 2008, but actually happened in the 1980s. And this is about Dr. Richard Gallagher and Julia. Dr. Richard Gallagher is an Ivy League-educated, board-certified psychiatrist who teaches at Columbia University and New York Medical College. He was part of the team that tried to help this woman. Fighting Satan's minions wasn't part of Gallagher's career plan while he was studying medicine at Yale. um, He knew about biblical accounts of mnemonic possession, but thought they were an ancient culture's attempt to grapple with mental disorders like epilepsy, right? He proudly calls himself a man of science. Yet today, Gallagher has become something else, the go-to guy for a sprawling network of exorcists in the United States. He says demonic possession is real. He's seen the evidence. Victims suddenly speak perfect Latin, sacred objects flying off the shelves, people displaying hidden knowledge or secrets about people they could never have known. He talks about this uh, one incident in quotes, There was one woman who was like 90 pounds soaking wet. She threw a Lutheran minister who was about 200 pounds across the room. That's not psychiatry. That's beyond psychiatry. Gallagher calls himself a consultant on demonic possessions. Uh, For the past 25 years, he has helped clergy distinguish between mental illness and what he calls the real thing. He estimates that he's seen more cases of possession than any other physician in the world. Possession, he says, is rare, but real. In quotes, I spend more time convincing people that they are not possessed than they are. Uh, He actually wrote this in an essay for the Washington Post. Some critics, though, though, say that Gallagher has become possessed by his own delusions. They see all he's witnessed are cheap parlor tricks by people who might need therapy, but certainly not exorcism. And they argue that there's no empirical evidence uh, that proves possession is real. Still, one of the biggest mysteries about Gallagher's work isn't what he's seen, it's how he's evolved. How does a man of science get pulled into world of demonic possession? His short answer, he met the Queen of Satan,
1: oh. Julia.
0: But this is interesting because here we have a physician who is the one that's being called upon to distinguish mental illness versus demonic possession. And he even says that more times than not, he is convincing people that it's a mental illness, not demonic possession. But once in a while, he says there are cases that are
1: real. Yeah, I think it's cool that he's like, I can spot a fake. I can spot like right. somebody that has this delusion that they're possessed. I can spot it, and I know how to fix it. You know, I think that that's really neat, and yeah, it's awesome that he's somebody that is helpful because normal people would probably be like, mm, this, we got to do something else here. <laughs> this sounds
0: like a really good show that I watch on Paramount Plus called Evil. It sounds like the same exact thing. Uh, They do not sponsor us, but if anyone's listening that works for them, sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) Please. (laughs) Um, So here's a story with uh, Julia. In 1980, Dr. Richard Gallagher awoke in the night to the sound of his two otherwise docile cats screeching and clawing at one another. Gallagher was forced to separate the berserk cats into two rooms and went back to bed. And he was kind of confused by their strange behavior. The next morning, a priest whom Gallagher was acquainted with knocked at the door accompanied by a woman with jet black hair whose eyeliner stretched to her hairline. And she quoted, How'd you like those cats last night? Oh. So here we have someone who should not have known...
1: Oh, hell no. What See, that's just freaky. Happened. That's freaky. I'll right? Like that.
0: She was a middle-aged woman who wore uh, flowing dark clothes and black eyeshadow. She could be charming and engaging... She was also part of a satanic cult. She called herself the queen of the cults, but Gallagher would refer to her as Julia, the pseudonym he gave her in order to protect her identity. Uh, the woman had approached her local priest, convinced she was being attacked by a demon. The priest referred her to an exorcist who reached out to Gallagher for a mental health evaluation. Smart, yeah. right? Why, though? Why would a devil worshiper want to be free of the devil. Uh, Gallagher says she was conflicted. There was a part of her that wanted to be relieved of the possession. Yeah. She ended up relieving Gallagher of his doubts. It was one of the first cases he took, and it changed him forever. Gallagher helped assemble an exorcism team uh, that met Julia in the chapel. Apparently, objects would fly off the shelves around her. She somehow knew personal details about Gallagher's life, like how his mother died of ovarian cancer and the case with the uh, two cats Uh, he wrote in quotes at one point the voices spoke in foreign languages including recognizable Latin and Spanish Julia herself only spoke English as she later verified to us the voices were noticeably attacking in nature and often insolent and blasphemous they cursed and insulted the participants in the crudest way They were frequently threatening, trying. It appeared to fight back, leave her alone, uh, you'll be sorry, and uh, things like that. Uh, The voice was sometimes guttural and vaguely masculine, and other times, high-pitched. Julia's comments usually expressed hatred for anything religious. Uh, There were animal-like growls, unhuman-like sounds uh, that also came from her. Hmm. Apparently, here we have her shouting out blasphemous things. She's, here we go, speaking in tongues, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, I would think someone in the satanic cult would know some Latin words. Yeah. Would make sense. So, obviously, some words could be recognized. He said recognizable Latin in Spanish. So, yeah. I could sit here and say recognizable Latin and Spanish words. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'm possessed by a demon. Yeah. I can shout out some Latin and Spanish.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not fluent, mm-hmm.
0: but I can say some words. Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: especially if you've like learned it. Like if they do some sort of chanting and satanic rituals or whatever like that. Right. Then when this whole thing's going down, she could just be popping that out. Exactly there.
0: Uh, in quotes again, Julia also exhibited enormous strength, despite the religious sisters and three others holding her down with all their might. They struggled to restrain her. Remarkably, for about 30 minutes, she actually levitated about half a foot in the air.
1: Ooh.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So this levitation thing keeps coming up. Yeah. Um, that obviously has no explanation. Yeah. Um, but that keeps coming up in all these stories. Uh, Julia found a way to reach him, even when she wasn't around. He was talking on the phone with Julia's priest one night. Uh, he says both men heard one of the demonic voices that came from Julia during her trances, even though she was nowhere near a phone and thousands of miles away.
1: Oh, wow. That's creepy.
0: Yeah, but could that just be you know, something on on this old phone line, Then they just think it's one oh, of the man. demons, you know?
1: Yeah, going back to the chair thing and the levitating thing, was she strapped down? Do they have her arm strapped down to that chair?
0: No, they were holding her down.
1: But if they're holding her down and she's struggling that bad, could it be possible that they were lifting the chair without realizing who knows because it was only a half a foot right it wasn't that it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't five feet yeah, up in the air at was time. Much. so i wonder if maybe that it's like a illusion it's almost, illusion right like they don't think that they're doing it but could they could be
0: doing could it because they're <laughs> trying to hold her down she's yeah. resisting you know yeah gallagher may not have asked to join this hidden world of exorcism but he's but he's an integral part of that community today He's been featured in stories, documentaries about exorcism and is on the governing board of the Roman-based International Association of Exorcists.
1: Wow, interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: he said, it deepens my faith uh, of the exorcisms he witnessed. It didn't radically change it, but it validated my faith.
1: Yeah, that's not what I was saying before with demonic possession possibly becoming some sort of religious coping. Right. Like, that's the way it seems. Like They want these kinds of things to make people love God more and stay away from the devil.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's going into this culture-bound syndrome, which I briefly mentioned that I'll get into in a little bit. Um, he says he's received many thanks from people he's helped over the years. Some wept and were grateful for him, not dismissing them as delusional. Um, as for letting any journalist talk to any of these people, Gallagher says he zealously uh, guards their privacy.
1: Well, that's good.
0: Right. They deserve um, their privacy. Julia, though, gave him permission to tell a story. Um, but this didn't really have too happy of an ending. Oh, no. Um, he and his team of exorcists continued to see her, but eventually she called to a halt to the sessions. And uh, she had eight exorcisms in all. Oh, wow. Um, exorcism is not a kind of magical incantation, Gallagher says. Normally a person has to make their own sincere spiritual efforts, too. Uh, About a year after she dropped out, Gallagher says he heard Julia's voice on the phone again. Uh, This time, she had called uh, to tell him she was dying of cancer. Aww. Gallagher says he offered to try to help her with a team of priests while she was still uh, physically able. Um, Her response was this. Well, I'll give it some thought. And he said he never heard from her again. Aww. Sad.
1: Yeah, that is sad.
0: Those are... Four of some of the most well-known documented cases of demonic possession and exorcisms. Um, Jordan, I think you did fantastic on your research to um, correlate with the things that were happening
1: Why, in each of you. these cases. Well, thank you. Um, I didn't talk about schizophrenia though.
0: You didn't. And that's another thing that could be associated with yeah. being demonically possessed too. Yep.
1: Um, because of hallucinations, um, there's another symptom of disorganized speech. Um, extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior, and some negative symptoms like lack of ability to function normally, and um, neglecting your personal hygiene and emotions. There's a, there's a bunch of things that schizophrenia is like the number one correlation with mental health and demonic possession. Wow, it's it's a symptom that it it basically causes delusions and all this other stuff. Like like in a beautiful mind, that movie, right. he literally thinks his whole life is him with these spies and all this other stuff, and just to find out it's a bunch of crazy ass papers all over a wall, and it's just so sad. Schizophrenia is super, super serious, and so, so scary to me. Yeah. Super, super scary. And um, I do have that in men. Schizophrenia um, typically starts in like your mid-20s, and in women it's later, which I thought was cool, later in your late 20s. It's uncommon for children to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, and it's super rare for those older than 45. Interesting. Yeah, I wanted to include that because I thought that was really cool. Why do boys get affected? And, Sooner. Yeah, and like girls later. I wonder why. I don't know. Um, there's no cause for it. They don't know, like, in research what causes schizophrenia. But um, they do think it could be a combination of genetics, brain chemistry, and environmental con. Contributes like we were just talking well, about environmental. If yeah, you're
0: surrounded by fear of the devil, and
1: yeah, so depending on your environment, it could lead to development of the disorder. Um, problems with certain naturally occurring brain chemicals, including neurotransmitters like dopamine and yeah. um, glutamate, um, could contribute to schizophrenia. Um, neuroimaging studies show differences in brain structure and. Central nervous system in people with schizophrenia, which I thought was really cool because hmm. you can literally see their, in their brain whether they could have certain things going on. Like wow. schizophrenia. Um, they really aren't certain about the significance of these changes, but they indicate that schizophrenia is a brain disease. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Obviously. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, that's just a basic little overview, but that's the main one.
0: No, but it makes sense. I mean, imagine. 50 years ago, someone's going through this, what do, of course, what are they going to think? But all this stuff also can correlate into something called culture-bound syndrome. Culture-bound syndrome is a broad rubric that encompasses certain behavioral and cognitive manifestations seen in specific cultures. Uh, these manifestations uh, are deviant from the usual behavior of the individual of that culture and are a reason for distress and discomfort. Some culture-specific syndromes uh, involve... Uh, somatic symptoms like pain or disturbed functions of the body parts uh, while others are purely behavioral. Some examples of culture-bound syndromes currently identified in the global community include czar and wendigo psychosis. Zar is a term for a demon or spirit assumed to possess individuals uh, mostly women and to cause discomfort or illness. So they have literally kind of classified this whole culture-based thing where a religious person will think they're possessed by a demon or spirit. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, I've never heard of this before.
0: So it's basically like culture-created fear. Well, and I
1: guess th- that makes it's, sense. It's, it's,
0: you, you believe <laughs> it so much, your body's actually reacting to these things, right? You, you think and believe that you are possessed so much that you actually start behaving like you are. Yeah, okay. Um, another one that uh, I wanted to bring up because you love cryptozoology. I do. Right. Um, (laughs) do you want to explain a little bit what a Wendigo is?
1: So, um, they're kind of mindless creatures that they're terribly hungry all the time. They always describe them as like, kind of not like bloodthirsty, but they just carnivores. They just want to keep eating and eating and eating. Um, it can be... Kind of different each, depending on where you hear the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, like, I was just telling Justin before the podcast started about um, a snowy kind of Wendigo, and there's other ones where it's more like a zombie-like creature. Gotcha. Humanoid creature Mm that has nothing to do with the snow and the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in that movie Antlers that we were also talking about. um, He took a nice spin on this cryptozool. Well, crypto-being, whatever you want to call it.
0: Right, basically they want to eat other humans correct yeah
1: anything it's pretty much anything okay like i think it's animals people whatever Hmm. is alive (laughs) (laughs) you know like i don't think it matters because they're just so hungry
0: wendigos um generate from the north like um great lakes uh regions and i think comes from like native americans yeah,
1: right? it's really big in Native the, American But depending stories. on where,
0: which area you're from, the story's going to be a little different. <laughs> like so, Some of them I've read that say um, they possess you and do things such as like want you to commit murder or eat human flesh. And in most of the stories I was reading, it says that a human will transform into a wendigo. Yeah. And that's how they
1: become. Yeah, that is, that's common in um, the story that I told you earlier where it seems like, The people that died in the snow became right so it's like a zombie but also a little different
0: right so wendigo psychosis is characterized by delusions of becoming possessed by this flesh-eating monster the wendigo and is manifested in symptoms including depression violence and compulsive desire for human flesh and sometimes they actually cannibalize yeah Uh, so when people are feeling these emotions they think oh my god I'm possessed by Wendigo. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, believe it so much, they start eating people. And they act like it. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, act like yeah. it. Yeah. So that's what this whole culture bound syndrome is. You know, your that's culture a nice creates. Example. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. But back to uh, other mental health stuff and epilepsy, uh, I'm going to play the interview that I had with CJ so you can hear from an actual um, person who suffers from seizures tell you what they feel, what they experience, um, share some stories, and what it's like. And he, in fact, himself has said, no wonder people with epilepsy were thought to be possessed because that's what it looks like and sounds like.
1: And especially, you know, if even 30 years ago, our science has progressed so much, so that, much. that they...
0: Back then, they didn't Yeah, that, they
1: didn't know everything that, that they know. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's insane. So in the dawn of time, obviously, if somebody's <laughs> having a seizure because of shit going on in their body, people are just like, oh, my God, a witch. Oh, my God, it's Demon. Satan. Right. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> which it makes sense. Like, it is, it is, and it's just, it's a touchy subject. You know, some people believe, some people don't. You know?
0: Exactly. All right, I'm going to play that interview. Here we go.
1: Uh-huh.
0: CJ. CJ. Thank you for coming and uh, being on the podcast. Not a problem. Uh, so the reason I brought you on the podcast, as you know, is that we're discussing exorcisms and demonic mm-hmm. possessions, and there seems to be this underlying common denominator between demonic possessions and exorcisms and... Yeah. Epilepsy. Yes. Uh, and since you suffer from epilepsy and seizures, I thought I'd ask you a couple of questions, and... Pick your brain, as it were. (laughs) Careful. Um, Before we get into that, though, I always ask every guest on the podcast, what was your first ever ghost encounter?
2: Uh, I was at a friend's house, uh, home alone. Um, Their parents had left for the day. Um, So we were just left to our own devices. We were outside for a bit, playing. It was in the summer. House is empty, but we hear things from outside. Like, footsteps running down running. the hall. Yeah. Footsteps and then a door slamming. And we hear this from outside, and we go inside. We don't see anything. We, we don't hear anything. Oh, so you guys are
0: outside of the house, mm-hmm. and you're hearing the footsteps and the door slamming from inside.
2: Yeah. and uh, You could
0: tell the sound was coming from, from an inside door inside the house.
2: Yeah, and we had gone inside, and we were, you know reasonably freaked out, we were like As nine, kids would be. nine years old, <laughs> um, and we heard noises from upstairs when we were downstairs, and we did not hear, or we did not see anything.
0: It seems like whatever was in the house was kind of toying with you. You're outside, it's making noises inside, you go inside, you're upstairs, it's making noises downstairs, you're downstairs, it's making yeah. noises
2: upstairs. Like we couldn't, we couldn't find anything. It freaked us both out. We were we were looking in all the closets. Um, we uh, we, we, like carried around broomsticks. <laughs> um, and I don't know what it could have been. So I guess that's, that that kind of moment stuck with you for quite some time. You said you were what nine years old. Yeah, I thought about it immediately when you asked me. Very cool, very cool. Uh,
0: so as I said, I'm going to pick your brain, as it were, about uh, epilepsy and seizures because, um. <laughs> Some people believe in demonic possessions, some people don't and throughout my research the mental illness always comes up and also epilepsy and seizures because these people go through violent outbursts of shaking and rocking and drooling Mm -hmm. and grunting Mm -hmm. and not remembering anything that happened when this was going on. Right. And uh, so I just want to know from you when this happens to you what do you feel in the moment? I mean there are different kinds of epilepsy and Mm -hmm. um, they do different things and the seizures feel very different and act differently. Um, what kind of epilepsy do you have?
2: Well, I have what is called, um, temporal lobe epilepsy. It originates from the, uh, the left side of my brain, uh, the temporal lobe. Um, there are different kinds of like, that's just where it originally originates. That's just where it originates. Um, but they call them grand mal seizures uh, or tonic-clonic seizures. And grand mal and tonic-clonic, basically, they mean the same thing. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's, that's the kind of seizure that everyone imagines when they think of a seizure. You know, full-on loss of consciousness, on the floor, uh, convulsions, full-body convulsions. Um, yeah, so I, I have that kind. Uh, it's pretty, uh... It's pretty, uh, traumatizing for people who see it. And I can see why people used to think that, um, it had something to do with demons or possession. <laughs> right. So, what
0: happens when you go... What happens to you specifically, and what do other people have said
2: that they've seen you do? Um... I've actually been lucky or unlucky enough to have my seizures uh captured on camera <laughs> oh, a couple geez. of times. So, part of part of my uh I guess my memory or my uh my point of view on this is is based in in that. Um however, my uh <clears throat> my personal experience is um you don't really remember anything. And if you do, um, it, it feels like almost as if you are remembering like part of a dream that you had okay um, it's almost like that that same well of information you, you draw from that it's, it's affected when you have one um, maybe uh, uh, peop- that's the thing uh, doctors and patients and people um, they, there's still a lot of questions about seizures um, even
0: after all this time it's yeah. still not a 100 percent there's there's um, no
2: definitive answer about like causes that that's why they people say they're different for everyone or their experiences are different or their triggers are different um but in, as far as what 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 i experience is um it, it begins with an aura and Those can be different for people. Um, Since mine originates in my temporal lobe, that's the part of the brain that uh, is in charge of, you know, uh, hearing. Okay. Uh, So I surmise that my aura is a... uh, It's just an increasingly loud sound that just gets disruptive. What kind of sound? It's a, um, a a violent humming sound a low-toned humming sound that just gradually gets louder gets louder and so you can sense you know before when before
0: you have a seizure
2: right yeah okay
0: you can you how can, long how long would you say you have before it happens i'd say 30 seconds to a minute okay and and that, from the videos that you've seen
2: what does your body do and what other things happen while you're going <laughs> through a seizure all right so it does a lot of uh a lot of, um, well, shaking. Right. But, you know, I, 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 I turn, I, I sort of get, I space out, I'll stare into the distance as if I'm trying to figure out what is happening to me, why I'm feeling off. And I think, like, I, I think I know when it happens because every time I'm like, all right, it's happening and then I'll lay down.
0: Right. So... You lay down and all of a sudden your body starts shaking. What kind of shaking is it? Is it wild, random, like your arms are flailing all over the place? Is it more like close to your chest,
2: kind of low shaking? Is it, what is it like? All right. I think I think it, it tends to be very tense and like... Muscle tense up kind yeah, of. Yeah, like shaking. afterwards you feel like you've run a marathon. Gotcha. And it, it wipes you out. And it's like imagine, imagine tensing up your entire body or squeezing all the blood to your face. Mm-hmm. And doing that for several minutes straight. Afterwards, you have a, you have a killer headache. You're 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 worn out. You're tired. All your muscles are are just. You want to lay down. You have zero energy after that. Um, Anything
0: else happening? Any drooling or grunting? Yep. Yeah,
2: lots of lots of sounds. Lots, of, a, sounds. lots of sounds. What kinds of sounds? Lots of sounds. I can't even describe them. It does sound very demonic. It does sound <laughs> okay. Um, Sometimes I am semi-lucid in these experiences. It it, it, it really depends on uh, environment, at least for me. Um, if uh, if I feel safe, or if I'm made to feel safe while I'm having it, it, it Less almost intense? yeah, it almost lessens the effects. So would you say that like, if someone was
0: kind of going through an exorcism and uh, you have people in a room shouting, shouting and, holy yep. things at you, it's and just, just throwing the holy water on
2: you, if you yeah. have a seizure in that time, it's probably going to be a bit more violent than whether yes. you were in a quiet space. I what I can so one story I have is um, the first seizure I had after an eight long eight year long period of having them under control. It was a breakthrough seizure. And it took everyone by surprise and that was not a uh i i, I didn't know how to deal with it. it it i i it was an unfamiliar uh unfamiliar feeling it's been eight years it's been eight years and all all, all the time prior to that it was on it was under control with medicine so like you were saying you can imagine in a, in a room full of Priests and family members shouting and yelling over each other—it doesn't create the stable environment um, that would possibly lessen the uh, the effects of a grand mal seizure. Because um, when I had when I had my first seizure after an eight-year period, um, the uh, the paramedics were were in the in the apartment. They responded and. You know that's fine. They they're allowed to do that. They did right. their job, um, but somebody in the unit above us called the police. Oh, and the police and the paramedics together were stressing out, trying to trying to get me out of the apartment, trying to deal with me not being you know mentally present. Right. You were kind of you were not fully there yet. Yeah, I was. I, I'd call it fugue, like it was a fugue state almost. Like I. I you can only sur- uh, you can only like respond at, like your your reptilian brain is making all <laughs> the decisions for you you're you're just you're you're pure you're at your,
0: you're at your basic instincts you're pure when, when survival you're up from i seizure.
2: i, w- I would have bitten somebody <laughs> well see and there we go because people have been bitten during exorcisms you know what yeah i could i could totally see that happening if i'm having a seizure and they're trying to to restrain me, you, restrain me, because
0: that happens during systems too. Either they yeah, restrain you just... someone
2: first because they know they're going
0: to have wild outbursts, or they restrain them while they become violent.
2: It's completely. So did you become a little violent
0: at that time? I mean, you have strangers in your place yes. trying to pick you up and take
2: you out of your yes, home. Yes, I did. I. Uh, everyone, everyone will tell me <laughs> that you fought, you fought the police. <laughs> that I fought the police. I fought the police, and the police won. <laughs> And they ended up taking me out, and uh, they had, they had to they had to stick me with some solution, so I to would calm me down. Yeah, so I would stop <laughs> doing what I was doing. Well, that
0: makes sense. I mean, you're you're just coming out of this. You're not fully there. There's strangers all around you. How else are you gonna react? Right. Yeah. Um. Back to though, you said there were a lot of sounds. What? Okay. Kinds of uh, sounds. Very
2: guttural, like breathy, uh, gurgly. Um, so, so there's a lot of drool being. Uh, produced so like a lot of I don't know choking breathy sounds so and that is
0: sounds exactly like how people describe people going under an exorcism who are demonically possessed they they describe these guttural uh, deep animal like grunts and noises Um, so are your seizures now pretty much under control hopefully with medications
2: who knows? <laughs> you can't. You can't tell. But I'm shrugging. Um, um, yeah, hof- I, guess you, I guess you just never know. Yeah, right? hopefully, hopefully they are. Uh, you, I, I, it's why you go to the doctor, and it's why you kind of find out what medication or medications work for you. And you know, everyone's different. Everyone experiences them differently. And like I said, everyone has different triggers as well. This could be caffeine. This could be. Music it could be musical, epilepsy, mu- musicogenic epilepsy okay. is a real thing. Uh, could be thinking about music in that case, or listening to music, or playing music, or
0: or the one that people mostly think of, which is like seizures from flashing lights.
2: Uh, yeah, photosensitive epilepsy. Right,
0: right. So, from your experience, and I know you've already confirmed it, but do you think that would you say you understand? Why people would think someone having a seizure would be demonically possessed, oh
2: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, especially if you've never seen one before, or like the only other instances of that behavior have been previously attributed to demonic possession by people in your community or or people that you know or like if if you're going if you're going to see somebody flailing on the ground screaming in agony from from no apparent pain or grunting grunting. Grueling. Making noises that they would never make, right? It's it's pretty easy to pretty easy to assume that that's demonic possession.
0: <laughs> All right, well, uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and let me pick your brain about uh, epilepsy and seizures. Um, any final uh, thoughts, comments, or stories to share?
2: I, I, well, I was playing the piano in the basement, and I. Uh, I, I got an aura, and I, I started to get panicked, and there's nothing I could do, and I just slipped into a seizure and lost consciousness. But you know, while I was doing all that, I was screaming, <laughs> "Jeez!" <laughs> and I'm downstairs, and, the, and my dad is uh, my dad is the next floor up, and he's just like, "Siege, shut up, shut up." He didn't Siege. Know, he, didn't he didn't
0: know what was going
2: on. He didn't know what was happening. And then, like, I kind of heard that, and I, I just I just sort of, like, stared off into space and then fell over onto the floor. Jeez. Uh, and then he, he bounds down the stairs. He was on the phone talking to my sister. Uh, he bounds down the stairs with the phone, and he's like, Oh, fuck! <laughs> he had a seizure! I'll call you back! And he throws the phone... Across he, the room. He chucked the phone? He chucked it as hard as he could. And, like, we couldn't find it until, uh, like, I want to say, like, an hour later. <laughs> also, at that point in my life, I had an eyebrow ring. And, uh, when I... <laughs> wait, went, wait, 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 you had an eyebrow ring? Yeah. I can't
0: picture it.
2: Yeah. Did you yeah. lose it? Uh, what happened was, uh, I had the seizure, and it got caught in the threads of the carpet. Oh, no! So, yeah, no more eyebrow ring.
0: <laughs> All right, CJ. Well, I, I hope uh, the seizures are under control. I hope there are no more. Again, thank you for coming on. It's been lovely. I'll have you back on again. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So that was my interview with CJ. Pretty interesting. Right? Yeah,
1: super, super interesting. It's nice to hear from people that, you know, go through it. Right. So it's not a talked about, like, topic. Like, I don't ever talk about it with Jeff's dad. Right. It's he doesn't really want to like, talk about it. Yeah, it's
0: not really talked about. Yeah. CJ is very open to talking about it. We make jokes at work and stuff. You know? <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we can recite what we read and, you know, through a research, but it's nice to hear it from an actual person. Absolutely. Um, what it's like going through this and what the whole ordeal is like. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Stay spooky.
1: Don't hesitate to consult your doctor and get help. Uh